Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. My name is Chris Howard. I'm Marketing Director here at Lace Partners. And today we're going to talk about the future of the office, which is a fascinating topic, given that so many of us are not in our offices right now. And there's probably quite a lot of implications that's going to happen once we exit this current COVID lockdown situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, today's podcast, I've got Aaron Albury, our Managing Director and Co-Founder at Lace Partners. Hello, Aaron. Good to join me again. Very well. And we're going to be joined by Carissa Kilgore. Carissa, how are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, thanks. Nice to see you, Chris. Nice to see you too, or here, as this yes, is podcast exactly. lad. So <laughs> but we can see each other because we're on we a team here. Because that's, that's what everyone does these days. It's teams calls. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why we've got you on today to talk about the future of the office and what you do uh, at CoLab, your founding, founder and director at CoLab Workplace Advisory? Yeah, so CoLab is a consultancy that works with organizations thinking about their offices and how their offices enable their businesses to do whatever their objectives are trying to do. So prior to this crisis, there was a lot more about how do we use our office to create a community? How do we use our office to increase collaboration and share knowledge and bring people together? And so, you know, and we've seen across um, across the world, actually, so many different offices coming coming on and being introduced fit out in a very clever way, a very shared way. We've seen the rise of co-working. And I think the way we were working prior to this crisis was a complete alternative to what we have right now and what we're seeing. So my job as an advisor to finance directors, real estate directors on how how they're choosing their headquarters, how they're using their headquarters, how they're um, instilling the right behaviors, and all of that will will be turned on its head for a period of time, I guess, while we while we experience what what changes we need to make in the work environment, and then how we create workspaces that can be more adaptable to unforeseen events in the future. Excellent, thanks, Chris. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I just I love this topic. I love this topic when we spoke before lockdown, and yeah. now I more fascinating, right? Because I remember, we, you know, designing an office started to become about engineering collaboration, right, into the office space and figuring yeah. out how you make people actually connect with each other and pass by each other and mix groups and all those sorts of things, which quite frankly, seems to be complete opposite of what we're trying to do now, right? We want to try and separate people when they're in the office. I'm really interested. I mean, you must, you must be starting these discussions with your with your clients now around that that sort of shift and that change and what are, what are the kind of messages you're hearing as they as they talk about their offices now well i mean one one thing that everybody is kind of challenging is how much space do we need mm. it, if we go back just a little bit on a context piece um, prior to this crisis and i would say following on from the global financial crisis you had two main drivers of changes to how we used our workplaces one was all about cost management and margin management you know, businesses used to go to take a workspace and they would take 10% more space than they needed for growth because the way we operated, the technology we had meant that each person was sitting in one desk. We had a fixed computer, we had a fixed phone. And every single day I went to that desk and I found my storage and my filing and everything in the same, in the same place. So cost management has been really big because as we've changed the way we work and adopted new technology and tools, 
we haven't needed to sit at a single desk in, a, in one location and, and stay fixed for the entire day. And businesses started looking at their workspace and they were seeing that they had 20, 30% excess space. And as we started to use more technology and we could um, you know, access our emails on our phone, edit documents from our iPads, from our sofas if we needed, capture things in the cloud and collaborate that way, most real estate directors I was coming across were seeing their workspaces only utilize 60% of the time. That's a huge amount of excess cost. Mm -hmm. And so over the last 10 years, we've just seen a massive reduction and kind of what's been deemed the right sizing of the workplace. So getting rid of any spare capacity and even pushing themselves further to say, let's take 90% of what we have today because we're only seeing an uptake in these new ways of working. In that, we saw a lot of sharing of the workspace. So, you know, hot desks was, was the way people talked about it, but it was more about, I don't need a full-time desk all the time. So I'll use that desk for a couple of hours in the morning. And then when my colleague comes in and I'm in another location, maybe at a meeting, maybe offsite doing something else, somebody else will use that space. So we started to see an increase in, in sharing spaces. The other main driver of how people were designing and thinking about their workspaces prior to this was all about capturing innovation and trying to create opportunities for new ideas to be considered and shared. There's one topic in the workspace, which is about kind of serendipitous interactions and a lot of different businesses were thinking about how they designed their spaces to increase the likelihood that you would meet somebody you don't know, talk about something you're doing, and come up with a new idea. I mean, Steve Jobs at one point wanted to design their new Apple headquarters um, at Infinity Loop with only one set of toilets in the whole building because he knew that every single person would have to use the toilet at some point in the day, and therefore you would get a whole bunch of people congregating in the same location and all passing through the same space. The Bloomberg building is another example that basically sends everybody up to the top. You, cannot, you can't go anywhere else except to the top floor in the day, and then you have to take the stairs or another lift down to get to your working location, trying to funnel people past one another. You, the idea was, if I'm walking past somebody, I might see them and remember, oh, that time we had that interesting chat, and we might spark something creative. And so what businesses saw in this desire to increase creativity and spontaneous collaboration and potentially innovation to drive top-line growth and new ideas was that shared spaces, collaborative spaces, spaces that, uh, that were non-traditional like a desk were being introduced into the office because it allowed people to be a bit more free. It allowed them to be closer. It allowed them to share and collaborate in a different way. So maybe you've seen pictures of people standing at tall desks, kind of hunched over, all working together on some you know, big printout. Maybe for an architect, it would be a floor plan, kind of all working together, touching the same document, or all standing at the same whiteboard with different pens, building on each other's ideas. These were the two main drivers for a reduced footprint, which means there's not a lot of capacity to allow your whole workforce to come back now mm -hmm. and social distance. And also there's this big drive for creativity and community in the workplace, which the whole workplace has been designed around. So with those two pieces of context, when I, look, when I talk to my clients and the things they're thinking about and worrying about is we've just signed a new lease and do we have the right amount of space? 
are we going to be able to use it in the way we envisioned in a safe way? You know, if if the whole workspace was about alternative ways of working or activity-based working, meaning you share the space, you you move around the building throughout the day, can we do that safely? And at the moment, the answer is no, not in the immediate term. We can't, if, if we're trying to design to respond to COVID and, and what we're seeing and make a safe, healthy space, then then we can't use those spaces in the same way. So they're challenging why they even have those spaces mm-hmm. in their office and what they're going to do with them. A lot of other things are just going on hold. I think that there's a hope that we can get back to using our offices in a more collaborative way mm-hmm. in the near term. That that doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem realistic. And so where people can, they are holding off. I mean, your your point, actually, I'd, you should tell us a little bit about what you're doing with your business and how you guys are thinking about space. No, it's, 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 it's a very good point, Chris. And, and it's, it's fascinating, this whole concept. I, I'm a great believer in engineering the serendipity. It's one of my favorite little terms. I love it. Um, and I can imagine the horror of having to sign a lease where you've designed that in and now having to tell people you can't actually get close to each other. I mean, for us, we're, we're, a, we're a consultancy business. Our office is relatively uh, modest and small, but it has a lot of shared design spaces, meeting rooms with shared whiteboards. We do very frequently gather around TVs and monitors to collect and talk and do that sort of group activity work, working. You know, and, and looking at how our office is designed and developed, we just could not see how we would be able to continue. Now, we're, we're in a very lucky position. Our, late, our lease runs out in June. Right. We have the option, therefore, to come out of that lease arrangement. And we've we've decided right for now we're, we're going to continue home working. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before the call, before the podcast started. I think, you know, the, the concept of social distancing is almost a misnomer. Right. It's during this period, it's actually been physical distancing and an increase in social connection because we're all using these devices and friends and family. I, I do worry. And I was talking on another call uh, podcast in a week and this topic came up about the psychology of returning to work. You know, there's a, there's a real isolation issue potential at work because you have to keep distance. You have to commute in, you're isolated from your friends and family during that. That could take forever in some cities. Then you're in the office and you may not be able to actually connect with people in the way you used to. So there's, there's a, I think there's a real isolation issue and a productivity challenge to come with the offices over the next period of time where people are using it. So no, that all that all really all really resonated. I, I I did want to ask you a question, if I may, which is around around the productivity piece, actually, because uh, I have a lot of friends who work in Canary Wharf, for example. Mm. <laughs> lots mm-hmm. of lots of you know where I'm going with this, right? How do you sure. get, how do you get people into the office, right? And this madness of elevators and escalators and social distancing in a lift where four people, in effect, can get in in a lift that would normally have taken twenty people at max, you know, crunched into each other. And still be slow to get. <laughs> I, I can't understand. I really struggle to understand the innovation that people are going to have to make around that, other than saying it's going to take time to get to work, and we're going to have to accept that. Yeah, I think I think this presents a really great opportunity for businesses to be thinking and questioning themselves about why they have an office. And that sounds a bit, you know, existential and there's a lot more kind of immediate priorities that people need to be worrying about. And there's a lot of human needs about coming in, being together. But I think if organizations are examining what, what is their driver for having this physical space? 
um, prior prior to this, a lot of you know, while while much of the kind of knowledge working world was trying to introduce more agile working and flexible working, and and there wasn't a requirement to always be in the office. I still had many clients, some for more compliance and risk management reasons, and some more cultural and ways of working reasons, saying that you know, no, there's no way my team can work from home. I recently, I was working with a financial services business and their, their lease is coming to an end. And we spent a period of time doing a visioning exercise about how they should work and how they should use their office. And they're currently in a very traditional setup. Fixed desks, everybody comes in every day, a big perception that if I can't see you, you're not working. And mm. this idea that when somebody was allowed to work from home, that they were off that day. So we went through this whole exercise and evaluated what their needs were and how much space they would need. And, and they went for well above, I would say, 30% more space per person than the average um, kind of London office worker, which is quite a punchy mm -hmm. statement and, and a real commitment to what they were doing. In yeah. light of COVID, they've now, they've now reduced their space take by more than 40% because they realized they can work from another location. They can manage their teams from another location. So there are some serious challenges with how you bring an office back to life and how you bring, you know, these skyscrapers in the city and in Canary Wharf back to life. Those, those buildings are designed completely around how fast, how many people you can get in a lift and how fast you can get them up to their floors and how you optimize lift management. And everybody knows that you're always waiting for a lift in a building anyway. So when we look at some of the challenges of coming back and the space that we're going to have to give the, in order to maintain the safety and the respect of our colleagues, we have to figure out why we're going there. Mm. Are we going there because there are resources that we can't get elsewhere? Are we going there because we can't work at home? There will be you know, a lot of, um, I would say, younger workers, probably graduates and other people who don't have a decent work from home setup, who don't have a space. And this is really impacting on their ability to function properly. There will be others that want to go in because they want to meet colleagues. And I think we have to closely consider why, why do we have an office? What is the driver of that office? And therefore, who do we need to bring back and when? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's interesting. This, this discussion is an interesting one because I think about my personal environment at the moment. So I have a desk. I have dual screens. I'm set up at home. Everything's fine. However, for me, one of the big things about going into my workplace, so LACE, is actually a lot of it is around being able to bounce ideas off of people. And it's the creativity and the culture side of it. Mm -hmm. How on earth... Can you, and I don't know whether this is one for you, Chris, or one for you, Aaron. Actually, it might be everyone for us to just have a discussion on this. How can you maintain the culture within a business of that creativity in collectives if all of a sudden you're saying, let's just strip out the workforce. We'll just have, you know, a few people in uh, an office in a WeWork somewhere or whatever, you know, these types of places. Um, we'll just get 10% of our office space that we need. How are you going to get that? creativity of people coming together i think i can talk from lace's perspective chris so let me start there i think the reality for us is at least another six months of working from home yeah. we have a we have a strong culture as an organization so that's that's a great base to work from but as we bring people into the organization you know as we start to, to to reset after this and regrow and bring people in we've got to find ways to engage people 
Now, clearly, Teams and things like that allow at least some level of visual capability and connection. But I think one of the things that we've been looking into is thinking about how do we get groups of people in local areas that are sort of around an area, say, north in the around Birmingham, we've got a few people up there, we've clearly got people in areas of London. How do we get them together socially and encourage them to socially gather? So there is still that sense of feeling clearly with spacing in mind and, and safety in mind, but bring some level of face-to-face interaction. That's one thing. I think the other is, is, is just the use of online tools as well. You know, that's the other part of this, right? We used to collaborate around whiteboards. They're becoming virtual whiteboards, right? We, we've, got, we've got surveying tools and online tools, and there's lots of things we can actually leverage now. And we're getting, I think we're getting better every month around learning that that's helping, but it is, it is clearly going to be a challenge when a lot of what for our, for our organization is a culture of, of engagement, of idea generation, of innovation, that, that requires a level of, of, of sort of working with each other, uh, which will be hard to replicate. I think building on that, Aaron, is, is exactly right. The question that you have to ask yourself as a business leader is, can we continue to add value in the way the way we see that coming together at LACE without being physically together. And what I heard is probably not to the same extent. And so we're going to have to implement something else in the interim to still give people a sense of connection, a sense of involvement, a voice, and to be part of that. But ultimately looking down the road to when can we physically get back together in a way that we can continue, that we can, we can talk, we can socialize, we can work together, we can be part of, part of a team. And so, you know, for, in my view, for as long as we need to maintain these distances, these one-way routes around the offices, the queuing for the lifts, you know, extending your workday way beyond what you would normally be there to do. I think that there's a big question about how long we just have to put that on hold Mm -hmm. versus say that doesn't add value for our business or we need to fundamentally change how we make that happen in a virtual world. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I had a question, which is, you know, we're, we're in a shared space. A lot of people are in shared spaces. I read a statistic that shared space utilization pre-lockdown was in the 90s. Um, I may or might be wrong. You may disagree with that. But, was, but certainly during lockdown, it's been below 10%, as you'd expect. Yeah. Um, yep. The, the recovery, I think, shared spaces are a real issue and challenge now, right? So mm-hmm. the kind of we work model, if you like, around that kind of bring lots of companies together, have a shared canteen, a shared social environment, shared meeting, that that element becomes almost impossible to to replicate when it's uh, a social distancing because we look at our shared space and we think, well, we don't control that, right? We don't control anything that's going on in there to keep people safe. So therefore, our only, th- only option is to say, stay away from them, right? Yeah. It's not something we can control or do it at your own risk, you know? So yeah, I'm interested to get your perspective. It's, it's such an interesting one. I've really been thinking about this because even though what we know about this crisis and what it means about who we can be close to and how the, how the virus transmits, does it change our human need to want to get together? Does it change our desire to want to be in a buzzy space we might be nervous, but does the need go away? Do we want to be in a diverse group of people in a shared canteen sitting at a communal table? I mean, I know that I do. I want to be with other people. And I think, so I don't think those go away. I think that we understand 
the risk and and I think people are very worried about it. And I think it does present a big challenge for some of these business models that have been created around um, shared spaces. But what I've seen so far, those businesses are taking it very seriously. So I was just reading earlier today, you know, the new operating procedures for, you know, a competitor of WeWork, a business called Convene about how they how they are going to implement a safe working environment, what their cleaning regimen is going to be, how they are going to encourage people to still get together, but maintain some distance, how they're going to create some sort of hospitality, how their canteen staff will serve the food and keep that in a safe way. I don't think because of this crisis, our desire to be together goes away though. And I don't know, I don't know what the parks are like around you. You're probably near a park. I'm near a park. People are, people are losing patience Mm -hmm. and I, and, and I don't know how much that would permeate the workplace. It's an, it's an interesting point. I think human nature will out around this stuff. I think people do as a whole like to spend time with, with others. I can see it in the parks around me, right? I mean, I went, I walked past today, people are back playing tennis. There's loads of people out in the sun today, you know, in a way they, they weren't even a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I can you you can you can see that. I think the interesting dynamic, I suppose, with this particular one is is not the personal risk because I think most human beings assess the personal risk and would be okay. It's the fact that you can carry this back to people who are in your extended family. And yeah. Risk, and I think genuinely that's the bit that's that's made people hold back. Yep. You know, and, and adhere to things because they're not worried so much about themselves as, as they are much as worried about what the impact might be if they brought that back to, to others. So I, th- I think it's going to be a very interesting dynamic, but you're right. I can see people doing it. I think it's just that burden of proof. We were, we were talking about this a lot on another call. You know, there is, there is an underlying constant duty of care requirement as an employer to your staff, to your employees. And that means the ability to prove that you've done everything within your, your uh, gift to create a safe environment for people. Um, so I think people, as you say, are focusing on what they can control now make sure that's right. And then they'll start to look at what other people have done in the shared spaces and then they'll have to make a judgment. I guess uh, building on that, the operators of shared spaces will be more resourced Mm -hmm. and better capable than lots of individual businesses at helping to create cleaner, safer, well-managed, tested and kind of iterated responses to this. So if you are a WeWork and you have, you know, 20 buildings in London and hundreds of buildings around the world, you will have been testing and changing your ideas about how you can create a a safer, cleaner, hopefully communal, but COVID responsible (laughs) uh, Hmm. workspace. I don't know. I, I hope that there's that the scale of those operators gives them some better capability than you know my business or your business would mm. have because that's not our core business mm. no you're right you're right it's um it's fascinating i find it fascinating and i find the the potential future fascinating as well actually so if we get you on here in 12 months' time, Carissa, what exactly is the workplace of 12 months' time going to look like? I'm going in prediction, you know, crystal ball cr- prediction time, because this is what I'm really fascinated because we've kind of talked about the lace, what's happening with us right now. Uh, we've talked about what's happening with most businesses right there. You've talked about the clients that you're talking to right now. In 12 months' time, where on earth are we going to be when we have this conversation? Well, I, like, I don't like to make predictions because 
we know that they'll be wrong. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and we can't, we, yeah, we couldn't have predicted. Well, some people actually were modeling and, and anticipating something like this, but as, as business leaders and occupiers of workspace, I don't think that it was, it was their job to predict the spread of a virus like this. But I think, I think one thing that we will have is what I, what I hope let's, let's slight like hybrid prediction hopes okay. is that people will be more trusted to work in the way that is appropriate for them. And, you know, if you look at what SIPID came out with today to um, advise businesses on when you should let people back, you know, ask, ask your workers what they're most comfortable with, because this experience will have given people a lot more evidence that they either can or cannot work effectively away from the office. And I think people will have a good sense about whether they were productive and effective doing that. And so I think we we can better trust them when we ask them a question about how they should work. And I think I would like to see a lot of businesses doing that. We've seen a lot of the major corporates extending um, their work from home policies, some saying indefinitely, others saying definitely to January, 2021. You know, Microsoft has come out and said, we don't want it to become a permanent fixture of our business because we think that it erodes the connection that people feel when they come in the office. It erodes the ability to share. So I think we will see a much broader acceptance of giving people choice about where to work from, whether that means going into an office, going to a shared space, or doing it from another location. That's one. I think the other thing that I think is really I don't know. This feels exciting to me. I don't know. Other people might feel less excited about it, but it feels like we can all be more human. You know, we've had to be pretty raw with our colleagues mm. and and our customers and our clients, you know, because we're all we're all kind of trying to make it through and figure it out. We see the insides of people's closets. <laughs> we see their homes. We we are much more human. And it doesn't mean that we should take away the professionalism that we bring to work. But hopefully it will increase our empathy and we can be kinder to one another in how we estimate and set up what work we should be doing. I think when it comes to the physical workspace, I, I will be so pleased to see people having a very clear thought and rationale for why they have an office and what the purpose of that office is and how do you redesign that or reimagine it to work in this way. If we have a whole bunch of evidence that people can work from different locations and they can do that effectively, and then we have to physically and socially distance when we're in the office, I struggle to see why people will want to make an hours long commute on a crowded train and come into an office so they can sit independently away from their colleagues to then get back on that train and travel another hour back. So I I would hope, I hope so desperately that people don't just change and redesign their offices to be isolated cubicles of the past and they find a way to create a community in a safe way in their offices if that's what mm. their purpose is when they, when their people come in. You just reminded me there, sorry, it's, 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 it's to end, end this conversation a little bit in terms of that. I was, uh, I was wondering, I was thinking about Switzerland. I worked in Switzerland for ages, and I've never worked in Switzerland, but Switzerland in particular and old Swiss Swiss insurance companies are designed cubicles. Mm -hmm. You have little cubicles of two to three people in a locked office. So if you ever wanted to know if someone else was in the office, you had to phone them. <laughs> but you're all in the same building because you couldn't see because you were just locked in these corridors. 
I wonder how safe they've been. I think they're probably been one of the safest, <laughs> safest people in the world, stuck in their little offices. But I agree. I don't think you can go. We can't revert to that. It's definitely not the way to go. It's it's going to be finding these environments. I, I was listening to a great news story about schools this week, mm-hmm. and the headmasters were talking about how they're running their schools and what they're mm-hmm. trying to, to, to do. Uh, and what they're saying is that look, we cannot control everything. We can't control it at all you know, to that extent. We can't keep kids from interacting with each other, especially the younger ones. But what we can do is we can create, in effect, small social groups that know that they are okay. Mm-hmm. And that they interact with each other in a way where they trust each other and they're secure. And we know that that's a safe environment. And that's what they're aiming to do, small social groups. That, that And I think we may see that repeat, repeat into the workplace where we end up with smaller groups of people who are in effect. And we see this with some businesses, right? Team A, Team B, Team C, yeah. in entering into spaces. That sort of model may, may actually permeate into a longer term way of working. I think, well, I think it's an interesting idea. And you can see that... When you, when you do your work, you most immediately want to be connected to the team you're doing that work with. And then more broadly, you're connected to the business that you're doing that work for. And so I think if you had kind of radiating circles of who you can connect with in a, in a safe and trusted way, you would you know, no doubt build um, greater trust amongst that team, probably greater reliance on one another. And um, that might be a way to bring people back and you could have those people working together in spaces, in offices. I, I wonder, I, I like your question about Switzerland. And I wonder if, if they sent everybody home from their offices, like, like many other countries around the world and, and what, what the results has been or how easy it would be to get back to working in that environment. Yeah. And, and then, and then you would go back to the question of what is the purpose of their office and why mm. do people need to work from that physical location? Yeah. And is it about is it about collaboration? Because it doesn't sound like it was designed around getting lots of different people to interact. (laughs) It may have been more around efficiency and risk management and um, providing people what felt like a lot of personal space and ownership over over a physical space. But and so if that continues to be their purpose, then their office might work beautifully for this next phase. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the weird sort of evolution, which might be, you know, when you go into a Tesco's or Sainsbury's or any supermarket and they've got the big Perspex screens, is that what we're going to look at, Aaron? We're going to have nice big social areas with Perspex screens so that you can see each other. No, we're going to put you in a Perspex screen. (laughs) That's probably fair enough. That's probably fair enough. (laughs) Aaron, um, one thing I've read about some businesses is that they are considering you know, testing and taking um, taking the temperature and other indicators of their workforce when they when they come into the building. Um, and I, I've seen I've, it feels like it's going to be duplicated on a lot of levels. If, if government is doing this, if businesses are doing this, if workspace operators are doing this. But is that something that you would ever consider doing for your business? Yeah, we, we talked about duty of care earlier. I think. Um... I was talking to one one business leader around this, and their their view was to stay ahead of duty of care. You've got to take the government guidelines and go one better, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of temperature checking falls into that category. I think of that sort of one one better, and in certain circumstances, I know that's one of the requirements. But you know, I think I could I could see that because the other option is what you end up doing is saying we will we will in effect create a bubble of a bubble of cleanness, if you like, within mm-hmm. the office. We know that is clean and safe and works and we just check everybody who's coming in to make sure they're not in a position where 
they may contaminate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's that period, isn't it, when you bef- when you've been infected to when you start to show symptoms that is the yeah. part, right? And be, you know, so temperature checking works in certain to, to a certain degree, but not yeah. not over all populations. So um, yeah. maybe maybe we end up with airlocks at the start of every office and you get <laughs> something, and you get. <laughs> I don't, well, then you're definitely going to have to stagger the workday, which we're seeing, (laughs) we're seeing a little bit of that. And so maybe we have the erosion of traditional business hours and, uh, (laughs) and queues out the door. (laughs) Yeah. But we're all getting used to queues now, aren't we? Let's be honest with you. Listen, Carissa, it's really, really good to have you on. Thank you very, very much. Um, uh, it's been a it's been a great podcast today. Uh, thanks, Aaron, as well um, for uh, helping me co-host. And also, actually, Carissa, I feel like you and I turned into interviewers of Aaron a bit, which was nice <laughs> and nice uh, a nice change. But once again, this has been the HR on the Offensive podcast. Carissa, thank you very much for joining us. Do you want to? Tell us a little bit about where people can find you on the socials. So obviously LinkedIn or are you on Twitter and places like yep. that? I'm on Twitter at Carissa Kilgore and I'm on LinkedIn where you can find me or you can find me at collabadvisory.com. Perfect. Um, and thank you very much. And until we speak to you all again next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.